Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. A new CIO in Arizona's largest county, next steps for Wyoming's interim CIO, and how Illinois is tackling cybercrime funding. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris announced how nearly $42.5 billion in broadband equity access and deployment funds will be divided among states and territories as the federal government steps in to help close the digital divide. Texas received the most funding, more than $3.3 billion. Every state received a minimum of $100 million in funding for the program. State government agencies in Maine are prohibited from using generative AI tools like ChatGPT for at least six months after a cybersecurity directive from the state IT office. The directive prohibits the adoption or use of generative AI in any state government business or on any device connected to the state's network while officials review its potential impact. Tens of thousands of public school students and employees in New York City had their personal data stolen in the recent hack of the file transfer software MoveIt, the city's Department of Education revealed. Personal information belonging to 45,000 students and an unknown number of staff members was affected by the breach. The city joins a growing list of public sector victims of the hack, including government agencies in multiple states. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Maricopa County, Arizona has a new chief information officer. Richard McHattie is taking over as the technology leader for the country's fourth largest county. McHattie was previously the chief technology innovation officer of the county's clerk of the Superior Court Office. Before that, he was a deputy CIO for the county as well. McHattie tells Statescoop's Keeley Quinlan about his background and what his priorities are in that role. Quite frankly, we we set out to deliberately leverage newer and emerging technologies. So that experience was much more focused on things like artificial intelligence, robotic process automation. So we are, you know, the Clerk of the Spirit Court is one of the largest document management um, implementations probably in the state because their core function is the record keeper on behalf of the Superior Court. So there were a lot of considerations in terms of how can we more effectively manage paper, even though they're paperless and there's a lot of electronic filing initiatives that have happened over the years, there are still a lot of self-represented litigants that come in and have to file in paper. So that experience was really good in terms of really more on the innovation side, pushing the envelope a little bit on how we can go beyond sort of traditional IT, I would call it, to leveraging some of these newer and emerging technologies that may be very prevalent in private industry for financial institutions, et cetera, but not so much in the public sector. What were some of the like uh, bigger challenges? I know, I know with it being the like fourth largest county in the nation, I imagine there's just a massive amount of paper, as you said, like, so how do you, how did you go about tackling those challenges? You know, I think on any technology journey, the biggest challenge is getting the right people to lead those efforts. I was very fortunate to have recruited uh, someone who I think is just absolutely exceptional. His name is Aaron Judy. He was uh, my chief of innovation and AI at the clerk of the Superior Court. And so I think with all things technology, as we all know, it's not sort of plug and play, right? These solutions are somewhat sophisticated. When people hear artificial intelligence, some of them think that you just plug it in and it'll, it will take over, if you will. Uh, but there's a lot of deliberation and consideration that has to go into that. So biggest challenge, I think, is always finding the right people who can really understand how best to link 
those business outcomes to the right technology and, and make it happen. As we would say uh, over there, it's really about delivering those outcomes. We can talk about all the cool technology that's out there, but the only thing that really matters in the end is that we've delivered some new capability for our business to help them improve their service delivery or improve their impact to their customers. So before that, though, you your career started um, as and you were an entrepreneur. You helped establish and grow an RFID-based pet recovery system um, that used, you know, implantable microchips uh, for identifying um, and recovering pets. What was that like? Well, that was honestly uh, an incredible experience for me starting out. I was still in college. Uh, I was back at Moravian College, now Moravian University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. But my parents actually started that business uh, early on as show dogs. Uh, they would show their their dogs that were traveling around uh, showing. And they came across this technology for implanting these RFID chips for um it was really identification of show dogs instead of tattoos in their ears for show dogs. Uh, oftentimes, show dogs could be replaced in the ring, et cetera. So it started off in many respects like that. But we built that into a true identification and recovery system across the United States and Canada. It was really meaningful work trying to recover lost pets and, and get them home safely. Uh, so we worked a lot with veterinarians and animal care and control and humane society to really do everything we could to identify all these animals and bring them home safely. So, you know, like most entrepreneurs, you work for little to no money. You keep reinvesting in your company. So those days teach you work ethic. They teach you really why you're doing that and being passionate about why you're doing something versus the paycheck. And I think to this day, that's still sort of sits with me that the most compelling thing you can do is really have a purpose and a passion for what you're doing. Wow. That's just awesome. So now that you've been in the role for a little over a month as, as the CIO of Maricopa County, um, what has it been like? Is it what you thought it would be like, or is it, you know, totally different from your previous experience with the superior court? So it is, um, it, it is different, of course, because technology and a county of our size changes over the years. I actually spent some time here at OET in a, in a deputy CIO role. So I worked for a previous CIO for the county, David Stevens. So when I came back here after five years away working for the clerk of the Superior Court and the judicial branch, uh, some things have certainly changed, right? Technology has evolved quite a bit over five years. Um, we are, as you mentioned, the fourth largest county, and there's a big focus on creating and enhancing, you know, a modern and responsive government. Uh, so we have a new county manager. Her name is Jen Pekorski. She is uh, amazing. And so she's taken our county in the direction of a transformation, leveraging technology and innovation to create, you know, amazing outcomes for our citizens and our customers. Uh, we are I think well positioned for that. I have an incredible executive team here who are very talented technologists who, who get why we exist, right? And we exist to provide new and, and improving capabilities for our, our departments so they can improve their service delivery. They can shrink costs where appropriate to meet the county's goal for fiscal accountability. And then most importantly, make that big impact on customer experience. Anything we can do to transform in a digital perspective to 
enhance access to the county and enhance access to services um, is pretty exciting for us. And that's kind of the journey we're on right now. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, in your first statement to us, digital transformation and, you know, modernization efforts were some of your, your top priorities. Um, what are some of the areas that you feel need the most urgent addressing underneath those umbrellas? Well, I think under, under that umbrella is, you know, as many organizations, I think public sector organizations, we saw uh, an immediate need to push services to the digital front. Uh, through the pandemic. So anything we could do to move services online and improve access in that in that capacity. We still have a long journey to go there. Um, whether you're facing a pandemic or not, our focus is really on you know that voice of the customer. What what do our citizens, what do our customers really desire? And what they what, what we've come up with that is uh, of course no surprise to most is they want the convenience of online services. They want a comparable experience to buying a concert ticket and checking in online with your with your phone with a barcode. Um, there's no reason we don't accept here in the county that we can't have a similar experience to private sector in terms of usability and customer uh, convenience and accessibility to all county services. So I think that is always going to be urgent and important. Um, we obviously have our base capabilities and securing the enterprise and ensuring high availability of services. That's sort of our day in, day out. We have to provide that. But to move the needle and improve that customer experience, I think those new digital services or improved digital services are the most important and compelling thing we can do. You know, as far as like the size of the county, are there any like challenges that you think the like population size presents to someone in your role who, you know, is in charge of like orchestrating all of these, all of these efforts? I certainly, I mean, one of the biggest challenges as most IT organizations face is managing that demand with limited resources. Um, we try to find that balance between delivering enough to make an impact uh, but not growing sort of our base cost and, and imposing that on our citizens. So it's always important to be able to manage the highest priority, high urgency uh, items, you know, first and foremost. So I, I think that's probably an obvious challenge for many organizations or individuals in my position is managing, um, you know, that demand management for developing new solutions. Uh, outside of that, it's just the normal... Uh, challenges, right, of delivering IT effectively and, and in a timely manner. When we when we talk about some of the digital transformation and the things we, we want to enable for the county, uh, the nice part is folks get excited about that, right? The leadership in, in departments in the county who, are, who whose desire is to deliver improved service, move services online, create convenience for their customers, Quite oftentimes, they're relying on IT solutions to do that. So our pressure exists to make sure that we can do that not only well, but in a timely fashion for them. Uh, is there anything that you feel like I didn't ask about that you want to share or um, that you think is like maybe noteworthy to it in the, in the digital story? Uh, you know, one of the priorities that I don't think I mentioned in terms of digital transformation, but you'll 
you can see this actually on the public website for the county mm -hmm. in terms of overall county goals. One of the more exciting things we're, we're going to do is creating um, a citizen portal, if you will. So one access to all services for Maricopa County. Uh, we have so many different departments in the county. We have 50, I believe 50 departments, everything from judicial branch to human services to public health um, and everything sort of in between, if you will. Uh, we wanna make sure that any citizen has the convenience and the ease of access to county services. And so coming into one portal and being able to go anywhere you need to for looking, maybe it's a property tax statement or um, a marriage license through the courts. We want to facilitate through that one citizen portal. So you'll see that goal on the county website as well. That's probably something that would be good to highlight in terms of our uh, digital transformation. Otherwise, we're, we're doing like so many other counties, I think, right? Doing everything we can to keep momentum on public facing services, improving ease of access to all county services through uh, ideally online services to create that convenience and, and affordability, quite frankly, for our citizens. Richard McHattie, the CIO of Maricopa County, Arizona. You can read more about him at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of the Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, another Arizona guest, J.R. Sloan, the state CIO. He's joining me to talk about his top projects and priorities right now. You can subscribe to the show at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Timothy Sheehan is looking to steady what has been a changing leadership environment in Wyoming. Sheehan stepped in earlier this year as the state's interim CIO after the departure of Bill Bida. He's also a State Scoop 50 award winner this year. He tells me about how he's looking to invest in the state's IT workforce. I think one of my number one priorities right now is our staff. Uh, we've experienced a lot of changeover uh, with our CIOs over the past couple of years. And so I think the most important thing is to let them know that you know, we're here for them. Uh, we want to make sure they have the right tools and, and, and the workforce development to ensure we serve our constituents as best as we can. Sure. Uh, so, so you know, that begins a whole lot of stuff in the workforce, right? Tell me a little bit about sort of that, the way that you're focusing in on and honing in on the workforce, workforce development, retention, all of those things. Yeah, so development's one of the key things. We've been partnering with our community colleges and also with the University of Wyoming uh, to provide all levels of our staff uh, different types of training, just, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff, uh, leadership training. Uh, we just recently uh, signed a contract with the University of Wyoming to do a new uh, executive ethical leadership training, uh, and our leadership team will actually go through that here in a couple weeks. Uh, our supervisors and managers are working with our community colleges on, on some respective programs there, and it's, it's a multi-month uh, project to go through this training to, to help them out. Uh, and then working with the vendor community to provide them that day-to-day -day technical skills, and, and we appreciate those opportunities uh, to give them that training. One of those trends that's increasingly more and more common uh, in conversations at events like this is digital government. Where, where is the, what's the status of digital government efforts in Wyoming right now? Wyoming, we're starting our journey. Uh, you know, it's always a concern is in Wyoming, our, our constituents aren't big fans of big government and how do we, um, in a way that is appropriate for our constituents to, to access the government, how they need it, when they need it, uh, that serves them well. And so we have a couple projects that we're about to kick off. Uh, hopefully soon can talk about here soon, but we're doing some, some contract negotiations. But one of our oldest uh, applications we have is pushing 40 years old 
and uh, that modernization effort is going to kick off later this year. So speaking of modernization, I mean, you know, we've been talking about modernization sort of as long as I've been in this job and really forever in, in government. I mean, uh, what is what does this moment in modernization look like in 2023 for you right now? I think 2023 is moving away from the custom, and that's what's got us in this legacy trap. We have hundreds and hundreds of applications that are built on old, you know, software code, and it's moving into our platforms. And it's finding, you know, one or two platforms that work well for the state, and and, and trying to narrowly focus that down. And so when that time comes for the next big thing, you know, we have one or two platforms to work with, and, and hopefully can more expediently hit the next thing. Uh, and lastly, you know, again, State's Group 50 winner. Uh, what advice do you have for your colleagues, your peers, uh, people aspiring to be in CIO level roles? What advice do you have for those folks? The biggest thing for me is listen to your staff. Um, you know, the, the privilege I've had is being able to work with a lot of these folks over the past 13 years. Uh, they're pretty transparent with me, which I think is incredible. Uh, in listening to their stories, their heartache, and how we um, you know, turn that to our customers and the agencies that we serve, uh, it's helped me kind of pick both sides and understand how to move forward. Timothy Sheehan, interim CIO for the state of Wyoming. You can read more about him and Wyoming at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Coming up later this year from Statescoop, the 2023 IT Modernization Summit. This year's virtual summit takes place on September 19th. You'll hear from the top leaders in state and local government, as well as higher education on all things digital transformation. Join Boston CIO Santiago Garces, Baltimore's Director of Digital Services Shelby Switzer, and more than a dozen other top leaders across the community on September 19th for StateScoop's IT Modernization Summit. You can find registration links for the summit in today's show notes and always at statescoop.com. Illinois is moving forward with its funding from the state and local cyber grants as part of 2021's infrastructure law. Adam Ford is the state CISO. He told me back in early May about his vision for the funding and how he's going to maximize those dollars for Illinois agencies as well as local governments. In Illinois, uh, we're, we've had our grant approved by CISA. Our grant plan has been approved by CISA. We're still waiting for final approval from FEMA, so we haven't yet seen the, the federal dollars here in our state, but anticipate that any day now and are really excited to get started. Uh, our plan in Illinois is a whole state approach where we are uh, providing services down to local governments, um, including building out a statewide SOC. Uh, we're going to create the first uh, statewide ISAC in Illinois, uh, the IL ISAC, as, as a way of having member communication and uh, facilitating the outreach for the SOC when we do have incidents. Um, and so I, I think in Illinois, our our cities and counties and our utilities are excited about it. I'm excited about it. My team is. We can't wait to get started and hope uh, to have something really, some actionable uh, stuff happening by the end of by the end of summer, uh, if not before. Um, I'm excited that we're able to build off of our program that we're doing for elections uh, and, and the, the kind of Illinois approach to having outreach and tools. I think is uh, hopefully going to help us be really successful in raising the overall posture in our state rapidly. So I'm very excited about it. Can't wait to see the new, the new NOFO, which will come out hopefully after we get our grant money. Yeah. Nice. Tell me a little bit about how the uh, the ISAC and the SOC are going to fit into some of the existing stuff that you've already got sure, going yeah. on. Yeah. So we've, we've operated in Illinois uh, a election cyber navigator program for five. This is our fifth year. Uh, and that program involves actual staff who work uh, throughout the state. They're distributed regionally 
and they interact as kind of uh, almost sales engineers for cybersecurity as a concept with local government. Uh, they've traditionally been focused on elections. We've started to expand that uh, scope. Last year, we passed a state law that expanded the scope and allows us to use those same resources and, and approaches, tactics, uh, for other units of government. We've been focusing in the last year on 911 centers and PSAPs. We're also doing law enforcement. And as this program rolls out, we plan to build on that where there's not just a tool, but a human face on it. The ISAC uh, itself and the SOC, we're leveraging the state's existing SOC and our existing set of tooling to bring uh, that same approach to statewide, you know, to, to other entities. Um, the same thing with the ISAC. That's going to be a way of communicating both with the SOC with each other. It will help us work very tightly and integrated as a key member of our fusion center, our statewide fusion center. In Illinois, we don't try to reinvent anything. We try to pick up and use what's there. So the ISAC will help to coordinate with the fusion center on member outreach, make sure that we know, it, you know, in the middle of the night, if we detect a bump, we know who to call in the, at each local government entity. So I think I'm really excited to see this ecosystem grow and, and hope that it continues to be successful in Illinois. So I, I think the, the cyber phrase of the 2020s is probably going to be zero trust. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What's going on in Illinois when it comes yeah, to zero trust? Yeah, we, we uh, really started our zero trust journey in earnest about a year and a half ago due to the great increase in ransomware threats, which I still think are the biggest threat to state government, honestly, Jake. Um, and so in Illinois, we're really focused on building fundamental capabilities. Uh, we know that it's not a quick journey to get to zero trust. We realize that it's not something that we're ever going to be done with. But we're focusing very hard on getting a, a good handle internally of our user identities, who are our people, understanding our applications, leveraging technology where possible to build tools in place so that we can make those different decisions that Zero Trust truly requires. Uh, ultimately, we need to know a lot about our applications and our data and our users, but we also need to be able to inject a decision point over and over again based on the risk of each transaction. So uh, we've, we've made some really great strides on identity. We've done some great things on tooling regarding um, VPN and, and that kind of network access that, that we're excited we think will continue to uh, grow our capabilities. Um, we've, we've been able to implement a, a lot of tools that work very well together. So it becomes an ecosystem of tools uh, within the state to help us you know, accelerate. And hopefully it'll have a snowball effect on our ability to reach some of those target goals of a zero trust architecture uh, more rapidly. You mentioned identity, you know, massive uh, undertaking in yeah. any state. Yeah. Uh, Illinois has been at it for a couple of years. Where, where, where are things now? Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got a couple fronts on it. Uh, we, on our internal side, we are um, maturing our internal SSO, uh, adding multi-factor authentication uh, as many places as we can where it makes sense based on risk. And, and having a single sign-on to do so has made that a lot easier. Uh, and then as we... You know, we start to see a magnifying effect that, that the more we put in there, the more it makes sense for other stuff to go in there because the user benefit is magnified. Um, and it does allow us to, you know, apply those security controls. So internally, we're doing that in the state of Illinois. We're currently implementing a HR system for the first time in the state, a central HR system for all agencies and the ability for the, for the office of the CISO to leverage that intelligence uh, around our employees, like who does what job. I think will really be very transformative. On the resident side, we're continuing to accelerate into our iLogin project, that single sign-on for Illinois residents, uh, and add more and more applications there. Uh, additionally, we have a new Secretary of State in Illinois, which functions more or less like a DMV in other states. 
And so Secretary Julius has made it uh, one of his landmark issues in year one uh, to modernize the Secretary of State's office. It's a separate constitutional office from the governor, but we're working in close partnership to ensure that we can work together on these identity strategies where the DMV component and the you know user, the identity component of Illinois residents can be tied into that digital experience as well. That's awesome. Uh, lastly, again, State's Good 50 winner this year. Uh, what, what advice do you have for your colleagues, your peers, people who want to be the next Adam Ford? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I, I, first of all, I mean, thank you very much to State's Good. It's a great honor. It really represents the work that my team and the team of Secretary Regal put in. Uh, there's been a lot of really hard work to get here, and, and I am honored to be able to you know, accept an award on behalf of their efforts and glad to be part of such a great team. Uh, yeah, the reality is that cybersecurity and improving cybersecurity isn't easy. It's continuous effort over time. It's identifying ways to move forward incrementally and just try to be a little bit better next week than you were this week. It can be really hard to, you know, not see the forest for the trees and understand that, like, you still keep walking as long as you're going in the right direction and you have a strategic vision for getting there, you can get there. I think for new CISOs, people coming into cybersecurity in, in, in states and in in um, you know municipalities, um, there's there are playbooks out there that are the, the the cybersecurity frameworks like NIST and CIS. Those help you to define what your program is. But I think that, you know my biggest advice is be bold. The risks are real. The attacks are getting worse, and the threat uh, the threat landscape continues to magnify. So be bold and and make sure that you're communicating the risk. You're addressing them as rapidly as possible. Uh, try to solve problems in ways that reduce future problems and make your teams more efficient rather than just fixing the specific, you know, sometimes you need a new set of tires instead of just keep patching the old ones, right? So, yeah, that's, I think that's probably my advice for, for new people. Adam Ford, the Chief Information Security Officer for the state of Illinois. You can read more about him and cyber grant funding at statesgroup.com and links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review or rating on the podcast page. Those make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher helps put it together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.